Don't tell them it's for freedom that we fight. Let them know that there's a war on, but don't tell them their side's right. And take that yellow ribbon off your car. That was Emily Yates singing Yellow Ribbon. Here on Flashpoints, we will continue to follow the case of justice for Vanessa Guillen. At minimum, justice can't prevail until service members are protected from their own peers and from their own chain of command. I wonder at what point does the military implode on itself, as it must need to, in order to halt the foundational flaws that it was built on. Sexism, indigenous genocide, corruption, and continual war with people of color. For Flashpoints, I'm Sarah Blanco, and thanks to my co-producer, Frank Sterling. This one took a village. Special thanks to Sharon Peterson for recording the English voice of Gloria Guillen. And thanks to Spanish translation consultants, Myra Guillen, Natasha Collins, and Beatriz Herrera, and Miguel Gavilan Molina. You are tuned in to listener-supported community radio, KBOO Portland. KBOO programming is made possible by KBU member listeners and support from PDX Pendable Stage and Studio Supplies. PDX Pendable sells and rents to film and theater productions, from gel and globes to paint and lights, featuring the latest airy LED lighting. More information available at 503-887-5880 and at pdxpendables.com. You're listening to an archival KBU radio show from the tape vaults. Times, dates, and events heard on this recording are no longer relevant or have already occurred in the past.
I'm Dime Roberts, Stage and Studio. Today, a remembrance of the struggles of Southeast Asian refugees in America. I'm featuring some of the stories from the eight-hour Peabody Award-winning Crossing East Asian American History Series, originally funded by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. On the special stage and studio, we look at the refugees from Vietnam, Cambodia, and Laos who came to the Northwest in the late 70s through the 80s. They were fleeing wars and genocide. Many had helped the U.S. military in Southeast Asia, and staying in their countries became dangerous when the U.S. left. Oregon and Washington were one of the first states to welcome new refugees. We'll hear from many in the Portland area who have made a positive contribution to the city. But first, a look at musician Duran Cravan. Cambodian Duran Cravan in Tacoma, Washington, came from a musical family that totaled 11 people. He was immediately drawn to the accordion. You know, my brother, the, the oldest one, he played drum, he played uh, violin, flute, and my other brother, he played guitar, drum. Another brother played, younger one played guitar. So we have a band play together with, uh, just for fun for the family. But Duran's family came to an abrupt and tragic end when the Khmer Rouge took over on April 19, 1975. Duran was 21 years old and going to college when the tanks with soldiers rolled into the cities. They rounded up people and took them into the fields and forests to start a new agrarian life. Anyone educated, professional, or capitalist, meaning westernized, was executed. Duran, who was wearing a shirt and tie, was immediately singled out. They said, who's a doctor? That man, he raised a hand, and professor raised a hand, soldier raised a hand, and then they said, student, and then I raised my hand. One of his brothers was with him at the time, Duran appealed to the soldiers to keep them together, but they refused. Seven soldiers come to escort us to the forest. And that time we start to know that we must be killed. And so we just walk, 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 walk until the person, I think he's a doctor, he just moved his head and then they shoot him. The men knew they had to do something. Together they overpowered the soldiers, ran into the Cambodian forest, and tried to survive. They had nothing to hunt with or anything to keep them warm when it rained, and each day they sent Duran, the youngest and most able, to climb the tallest tree to look out for wild animals, or worse, the Khmer Rouge soldiers. You know, in the forest, uh, there are like a snake, cobra, tiger, elephant, and different kind of wild animal. So that's not easy to live in the forest, but also you see the beautiful thing in the, in the forest. I can see the birds, I can see the mountain, I can see everything except the faces of my family. So that's why I create that song in my band that time I called The Top of the Tree. One by one, the men died of starvation or were killed by predators or soldiers they encountered. At one point, Duran tried to cross the border to Thailand through the minefields. Duran, to this day, believes the animals came to save his life. A deer ran up in front of him and was blown up, then a rabbit. Rather than risk the minefields, Duran surrendered himself to the Khmer Rouge and was put to work in the camps. He farmed without tools. You know, even the corn, I have to steal my own corn that I grow, and then they not allow you to do that, so that's why you cannot possess anything. You, have, you must be killed if you steal that. Duran worked in the killing fields through the entire reign of the Khmer Rouge until 1978. He says he wouldn't have survived if something miraculous hadn't happened. 
I just saw the accordion on the stem of the tree. And then I said, ooh, ooh, I want to touch. <laughs> and then I'm really surprised. And then I said, wow, that's a, that, that's a dream really come true. I just think about that. And then the accordion come. This uh, the God provide this uh, instrument to me or what? The Khmer Rouge let him play. The music drew people from neighboring camps. Children came, and then other musicians. The Khmer Rouge gave them instruments so they could play for festivals that glorified the new regime. Every kid, all the adult people, they come to see me. That's I become a famous in that time. Famous in the hell time. In the, in the <laughs> and each day after a meager meal of rice, Durand would play his accordion and wonder if any of his family was still alive. He continued to work and starve till January 7, 1979, when the Cambodian leader Pol Pot fled the country to escape a military offensive from Vietnam. Pol Pot also left up to three million of his people dead and four million starving. The Khmer Rouge soldier just said, go home. Duran walked the long road to his family home. All that was left was a gatepost, cement steps, and one younger brother. When I go there, I just uh, <laughs> that post and then I cry. I just see the post, but I didn't see my family. Duran lived under the Vietnamese-installed government in Cambodia till 1984. He then escaped into Thailand, lived in refugee camps for four years, and then came to America. When you say one word, how do you survive? Across everything, I cannot believe how can I survive, but I'm here. I'm still Duran. <laughs> To hear more of Dura Kravan's music, go to CrossingEast.org. This Crossing East music feature was made possible by the National Endowment for the Arts. I'm Dime Roberts. I'm Dime Roberts. You're listening to Stage and Studio, featuring the Peabody Award-winning Crossing East series, hosted by Margaret Cho. If you want to hear the complete show, you can order the CD set or downloads at CrossingEast.org, and you can get more info there, as well as on StageAndStudio.org. Next up, we hear about Portland Southeast Asian refugees. This is Station Studio. I'm Margaret Cho, and this is Crossing East, our stories, our history, our America. We're looking at America as a refuge from war. Thousands of demonstrators opposed to the Vietnam War assembled in the nation's capital for a mass protest. For the most part orderly, minor scuffles did occur between the demonstrators and hecklers. Most Americans know the impact of the Vietnam War on America, but know little of the horrors of war that took place in the cities and countryside of Vietnam, Cambodia, and Laos. In 1975, Southeast Asia was in chaos. The communist uh, forces overtook the southern part of Vietnam and wanted to replace the political power. As a result, what they did is they imprisoned anyone who was a leader, whether they were a military leader or a political leader in that country, and replaced a form of government so that the socialist form of government was being instituted in this country. Dr. Linda Trinvo, professor of Asian American Studies at the University of California, Irvine. In the aftermath, in both Laos and Cambodia, communist forces also were fighting for power. And this internal struggle led to a lot of death, a lot of instability, a lot of imprisonment and torture of individuals, and also persecution of minority groups as well. Some of the groups that were 
persecuted were those in Laos, and they were the Hmong and the Mien uh, groups who had fought alongside the CIA and the U.S. military against the communists. So when communist forces took over in Laos, they persecuted and basically practiced ethnogenocide of those ethnic groups. Cambodian Duran Kervan lived through the genocide of the killing fields when the communist Khmer Rouge took over in 1975. Up to three million people were exterminated through forced labor, starvation, or execution. Out of a family of 11, only he and his brother survived. See these pictures? All my family, all of them were killed. When you say one word, how do you survive? Several civil wars and killing field and minefield and refugee camp and here, I'm here. Across everything, I cannot live. How can I survive? When the American war ended in Vietnam in 1975, thousands of Vietnamese fled to the U.S. These refugees learned to live in a new country, building a vibrant community from coast to coast. But the legacy of warfare and post-war trauma still haunts them 30 years later. Dr. Linda Trinh Vo. A refugee is similar to someone who is an immigrant. However, a refugee is someone who is fleeing their own country because of fear of persecution, whether that be political persecution, religious persecution, or ethnic persecution. The refugees who came to America were Vietnamese, Cambodian, Laotian, and the ethnic minorities from Laos, the Mien, and Hmong. Most had fought on the same side and helped the U.S. military in the war in Vietnam. The Mien and Hmong, the rural people in Laos, were particularly vulnerable for helping the CIA with covert operations. Staying in Laos was not an option. By 1979, there were almost 62,000 Vietnamese in refugee camps. More than 140,000 people displaced from Cambodia and Laos joined them. They were dispersed all across the country. There was lingering animosity. People were unsure of who you know, these refugees were, why they were here. So the U.S. government wanted to process them as quickly as possible and also get them to assimilate as quickly as possible. Oregon and Washington state had the fifth largest population of Southeast Asian refugees in the country. The Portland School District was one of the first to figure out how to work with Southeast Asian youth coming to their schools. The 1.5 generation, those who came to this country at a young age, learned quickly, mastering language and writing skills before their first generation parents. Now they own businesses and work as professionals and community leaders in Portland. Chapter 4. Refugee Dreams Revisited by Anne Moran and D. May Roberts. Every Sunday afternoon, about 500 kids come to the Van Long Vietnamese School in Southeast Portland. Parents started the school in 1990 because they didn't want their kids to forget what it means to be Vietnamese. The students range in age from kindergarten high school. Queen Nguyen and her husband Tien, along with 50 teachers and volunteers, work every Sunday for free. It's not only uh, for them to know the language, but it's help for the family, for the connection with parents and grandparents. And Because by the time my son grow up, and if he doesn't know how to speak Vietnamese, then he lose his root. And that is a big, big problem for the family. 
Kui came to Portland after the fall of Saigon when her husband Tian was sent to a re-education camp to do hard labor. He told her to escape Vietnam with their four-year-old daughter Christine. Kui became one of the hundreds of thousands of people fleeing Vietnam on overcrowded boats in dangerous seas filled with pirates. We were surrounded by the ten pirate boats, and all the women have to climb down the trunk, hide in there, and because we know that if the pirates see us, they're gonna kill or they're gonna do bad things. One of the refugee men shot off a flare gun to scare the pirates, and it worked. The pirates decided not to board and drifted away. The third night, it was a storm, a, a very big storm. Christine said, Mom, Mom, look at, and I look at, I saw oh, all lights, you know, all lights there. And I said, oh my goodness, we reached some cities. We were so happy. Like thousands of other Southeast Asians, Kui and her daughter spent four months in a refugee camp before coming to Portland. Li Cheng Teng was a child when the Khmer Rouge communists drove into her town. They made everyone go to the countryside to do forced labor in what would be known as the killing fields. Finally, they said everybody had to go, but only just for a few days. You don't even have to lock your doors. People, they don't take anything with them. All they take is money and material things, you know. They would drive their car. They, they thought that they'd be back in a few days, but they never returned. Instead of following the Khmer Rouge, Li Cheng's mother fled with her family to Thailand, where the border was lined with minefields. And so, like, uh, about three, 400 people would walk across the border to uh, Thai village. And in certain areas, very dangerous, they have all kinds of bandits. And also, the Khmer Rouge, they still hide in that uh, forest. And sometimes they would come and rob people and sometimes even kill or rape young girls. In that area, you have to be very quiet and walk very fast. And if you could run, run. They made it, after several months of hardship and starvation, to a refugee camp run by the Red Cross. Somewhere between 1.7 to 3 million people died in the killing fields of Cambodia. Safety is the reason when we became refugees, because we were told when the communists came, they would butcher everyone. They would kill everyone, especially the kids. Refugee is the people that someone come over and take over your homeland and you have no place to go. You have to escape for your life. Many refugees like Long San Sio and Farm Yun Lee, both Mien, left Laos with nothing but the clothes on their back. If your house is on fire, are you going to stay inside your house or, or get out of your house? My house was on fire, that's why I had to run. You know, you have to go somewhere that is safe for you to be able to survive and safe for your life and your family. You, you, you have no house. You have nothing anymore. The camps in Thailand could barely provide the necessities of survival for the thousands fleeing from Vietnam, Cambodia, and Laos. The first refugee camp, we stayed there for about eight months. And then more and more people were escaping from Laos. In the camp, there were so many things that we were, I mean, we were suffering. A lot of people got sick. Many people died from diarrhea. Uh, from illnesses, and uh, after you, if you do not follow the rule, you can put in jail. But refugees continued to arrive in the camps throughout the 80s and 90s. Li Po Cha's family walked for almost a month through deep jungle from Laos to the Mekong River, along with thousands of other Hmong. You know, the refugee camps are not something that many of us could imagine. We don't have much uh, freedoms. You know, 18,000 people live in this little tiny camp, you know, just bamboo uh, tent, you know, your little space. And 
families after families, they just uh, crawl into this little space. Because the U.S. involvement in Southeast Asia left vast numbers of people homeless, America responded with the Refugee Act of 1980. It formally defined a refugee as anyone fleeing their country because of persecution or fear of persecution based on race, religion, nationality, social group, or political opinion. The act created a formal resettlement plan for refugees and set a ceiling on the numbers that could be admitted in the U.S., Church and community groups around the country, like Lutheran Family Services and Catholic Charities in Portland, work tirelessly to sponsor and place families. Cantalee Tamavong remembers being puzzled at her first view of America when she arrived from Laos with her husband and two children. We didn't see much about what we see in these kind of, you know, uh, highscaping buildings. Try to look down. I was sitting by the window, try to see how it's like, where is it? And I didn't see it except just the screens. And I say, where are we going? <laughs> Long San Sio had the same reaction when he arrived in winter. In the airplane, I think about 8 o'clock in the morning. When we first came, you know, December was very, very cold. It was raining and cold. I asked them, how can we go to work? They told me that people work inside. That was the best feeling I got, because this cold weather, I have to work outside, I may die. Long San found indoor work as a school janitor. With no language skills, it was a blessing to have any kind of job while learning to live in a new country. Americans in general were ignorant of the struggles of Southeast Asian refugees and clung to old racist stereotypes. When he first arrived, So Come Touch had to explain he was Cambodian. At that time, people did not know where Cambodia is and who is Cambodian. They always telling me that um, go back to Japan because that's all they know. At that time, people not that much friendly and they keep looking you like a stranger because you look different, you speak different, you didn't even speak the language at that time. And Lipo Cha had to explain that he was Hmong from Laos. I believe that during those days we do have some racism going on and we do had uh, some difficulty. We had a lot of fight between, you know, Asian kids and, and our uh, Caucasians or African-American kids there. You know, we've been calling names. We've been shot at. Cambodian Ki Long Ung had survived the killing fields and refugee camps. Attending high school in Portland in 1980 was another brutal experience, this time with racism and poverty. At school, there's always boxes of old clothes that people donated, and I actually had some of those to wear. Being on welfare is probably the most miserable things I've done in my life in America. It was embarrassing. I went to school. Kids were laughing at me. With limited English, I understood that language. The language of love and the language of hate doesn't matter how you speak it. It doesn't matter how you listen to it. You can actually understand that. Ki Long Ong runs his own consulting firm and is president of the Cambodian American Community of Oregon. He says learning English was often the biggest hurdle to making a new life in America. English is probably one of the most illogical language learned, and I, man, I absolutely hated speaking English until now. Most adults were slower to learn than their children. Farmyun Lee, a Mien from Laos, remembers her first English language classes. When I get here, I don't know any English at all. So when I go to anywhere, when people talk, I cannot pick up any words. What I heard is there's no word broken. Just go, you know, that's all. (laughs) 
So I have no idea. I mean, it's not easy, you know, it's hard. They're teaching us just like a kindergarten kid. Cambodians Lee Cheng Tang and Sokum Touch were glad to have any job because it helped their families. I cleaned toilets when I was in high school. I picked berries for all season. Cucumbers, nuts, they were so damn heavy. A big bucket for a buck, but I did it anyway because um, we need money to pay rent. But we're happy that we had freedom. This is our choice that we make and we, uh, uh, we get our money. That's our money. We can spend on anything we want. Our job, like my job, was before a strawberry picker, and none of the mainstream want to do that. A whole day, you earn $10. At that time, they felt that we come here to steal their job. You know, we come here to steal everything that they have. It's just a misunderstanding from the mainstream community that we are here to steal things from them. Many refugees are very reluctant from the beginning to accept entry-level wage jobs. Long San Sio adjusted so quickly to life in America, he was able to help many of the men from Laos to start over. He offered them a philosophical view of the path to success. I mean, back their homeland. There could be military commanders, uh, officials, or government officials, or school teachers, or they have high-ranking position. But entry-level job is the way, if they get a chance, they should start. And many of them made it to the top in a few years. The myth that Asians are the model minority, well-to-do and well-educated with higher incomes, is not true for many Southeast Asians. Many refugees struggle to stay above the poverty line. The 70s and 80s was a tough time to immigrate to Oregon. The timber industry was going bust and unemployment was at an all-time high in the state. Hmong were members of the underclass then. Lee Po Cha says they've now moved up to the ranks of the working class. During those days, a lot of Hmong families are struggling. But today, I think they're all employed, you know, they have their own homes, and uh, I would say that we may not, you know, live in the American dreams yet, but, you know, we are becoming self-sufficient ourselves. Lee Po Cha is now the director of the Asian Family Center in Portland. He works directly with Asian youth. Nationally, one in seven Asian American children live in poverty, a factor in the rise of Asian gang activity. What really motivated kids to join gangs it varies so much poverty is one being discriminated against may also be one of the reasons at first uh, most of the the mean parents do not accept that the kid will involve in the gang long sancio is president of the Yumian community of oregon because the parents did not understand english and the kids come home parents can't communicate with them parents don't know until the the school informed them and then they, they began to realize the kids were in trouble, and by then it's too late. Since she arrived in Portland as a refugee, teacher Kim Nguyen has dedicated her life to working with troubled kids in juvenile detention facilities. They think that they discriminated against, so they joined the gangs to get the protection that they need and to be someone. If you belong to a gang, it means something, and you can show to the world that you are somebody else. And Kim Nguyen says it isn't just the kids. The problems run deeper at home. So we have parents who work couple jobs. We have parents who are divorced. We have domestic violence. We have child abuse. And then the sad part for these families is that they are not familiar with the language or how to navigate the system and how to get help. And then especially when parents whose children got into the legal system, then it's even scarier. Southeast Asian refugees fled for their lives after the Vietnam War. America offered a new place to start over, but provided no escape from the post-war trauma. 
Li Cheng Tang works in her family's grocery store in Portland, but the memories of being a refugee are still with her. I see all the time on TV. I would see food been tossing, tons of food been tossing. I would imagine, God, and once upon a time, I would just do anything just to have a bite of that food. Okay, that's a flashback. And also, when I see a, a sad scene on TV or go to a movie where people feel so hungry, I was there. I know exactly how it felt, you know, to be hungry. Queen Nguyen and Cantalee Tamavong long for their homeland. Yes, you are free, you are safe now, but you still have a connection to the country that belonged to you, you know, that you lived before. So it was very homesick. I miss my parents. My sisters uh, still left there. And every night I dream about I went back to Vietnam. You're homesick, but you're still afraid of the government. You're still afraid of being there, you know. When we came, we didn't seem to worry about that, you know, we missed the homeland. But when we're getting older, I don't know, that kind of feeling is coming back to you that you long to want to go see your, your own country. Seems like you want to go back and you'll be able to go travel and see other friends and family that who you love in other state too because when we leave home, we don't know who's where. Some, like Long San Sio, actively help out in their original countries. Me and my, my wife, we plan to work until our retired age. One of my goals is to go back to Asia, to Laos or China or Thailand to educate those people. We have so many good things for other countries to learn. Through my years of experience here, that you can take back to your homeland, and I think those people will really appreciate. Yes, I hope. I hope our dream will come true one day. Cambodian Sokum Touch is now the director of the nonprofit Immigrant and Refugee Community Organization. He says many refugees fulfill a cultural responsibility for family here and overseas. I took my children over there to, for them to see this is where I came from, this is the school that I went to. And if you are older brother, you're supposed to take care of the rest of the sibling. We have a parent, some of us build a house for the parent. Relationship is still very strong in terms of relationship in Cambodian community. And they maintain tight communities in Portland. Farm Yun Lee says because the Mien are small in numbers, they support one another like a large extended family. We don't have that many people, but we're all really close. We're helping each other. Like uh, someone's uh, losing family member, we all, the whole community come by and they all pitch in the money to give a donation to this family to, to help them with the funeral expense and all that, you know, they buy them food. So how to help our community to stay strong? Today, I am worried about the younger generation now. They have uh, too many things to learn about American culture, and I'm afraid that in the future, maybe the children doesn't know where they come from and what their ancestors are and the background they're coming from. And not to forget about that, it's important for them to carry that on. Carrying on traditions and preserving culture, giving back to their children and to their communities is the refugee dream for Southeast Asians in Portland. Ki Long Ong. The fact that I was able to get through the Khmer Rouge and I was able to overcome the language barrier and the cultural barriers and get to where I am today, a lot of times I look back, I look in the mirrors like, how did I get here? Refugee Dreams Revisited by Anne Moran and D. May Roberts. 
You can find a Flash movie about this piece on our website at crossingeast.org. I'm Margaret Cho, and this is Crossing East. This was a special stage and studio presentation of some of the stories in the Crossing East Asian American History Series with host,